So, so we have come to a pivotal point. And it's much like that very humid, muggy Springfield, Missouri evening at Metter Softball Complex. It was during a very hotly contested game, and you need to understand in Springfield, Missouri, slow pitch softball is a really big deal. Bragging rights are a really big deal. So during our game, the umpire made a call. Immediately, the opposing coach charged out of the dugout toward the umpire, got in his face, he was, he was livid, his face was red, and he began to curse. Now, now, understand that this is middle America, this is conservative America, uh, this is family-oriented America, this is a softball field, the spectators are just on the other side of, of the, the backstop. They're witnessing this, this, this torrent of, of spittle and profanity. And did I mention this is also a church league? <laughs> the umpire doesn't say a word. And this guy goes on for quite a while. Finally, when he's done, he says to the ump, now throw me out of the game. The umpire says, no. He said, you throw me out. No. Throw me out, he said, no. And the umpire said, now here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to go back, sit on that bench, while all these parents stare at you and see what a fool you are. And he did. And the parents did. In our story that we've been following, Nehemiah is the umpire. He has been appointed the governor of Jerusalem and is there to rebuild the wall that has been in shambles for over a hundred years. He is the dream leader. He, he is the one who's building a team to rebuild the wall that will protect the citizens, that will rekindle the worship that has been gone from that place for so many years and to bring back the values and the culture of the nation of Israel. It's a big deal. And it's more than a good idea, it's a God idea. And Nehemiah is calling him like he sees him, and suddenly the opposing coach comes charging out of his dugout, and he's livid. Nehemiah 4 says this, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, and the word actually means he became hot, and was greatly incensed, which means he was so aggravated. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Or what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, it would break, he would break down their wall of stones. So I want you to brace yourself this morning for a massive dosage of truth, of reality. And it's this, that if you have a dream, you have a vision, you have an, a, a really good idea, and you begin to enact that idea, I can guarantee you that you will have critics. You say, I'm gonna write a song, there'll be someone who tells you the chord progressions are wrong. You say, I'm gonna build a house, and they'll tell you that the floor plan is too chopped up. 
You say, I'm going to coach a winning team. They'll tell you that your play calling was way off base. There are people who are ready to tell you that whatever it is that you want to accomplish, you're doing it the wrong way or it can't be done. Because there is always a critic ready to say what other people are thinking. Really? You think you're going to build this wall? No. You're too feeble. All the quality people, all the, the, the top thinkers and the top, top engineers and the workers, they all were moved outside of Jerusalem. You got nothing. You think you're going to build a wall? You, you're too poor because, because you don't have any supplies. Everything of value was taken. You're going to build a wall? You're too ungodly. God left here long ago, and you think you're going to get that back again? You're too slow. You think with this ragtag group of people that you're going to be able to build that wall? You know how long it's going to take you to rebuild that wall? You're too hopeless because the materials you have around you, those limestone blocks, have been damaged by fire. Their, their integrity has, has been weakened, and, and they will crumble. In fact, you're too incompetent because even if you could build it, even just if a, if a little fox jumped on the wall, it would crumble. They attack their character, their competence, their commitment, and even the feasibility. And then if that's not bad enough, they spread the word to others. And what they did is what I call a word curse. A word curse is when someone in their bias gives an opinion and others take it as if it is fact and they spread it negating the positive flow of what was to be done by, by what is seeming to be factual when it is absolutely false. Except, usually when a critic speaks, there is a little piece of truth in there somewhere which makes it believable for others. So every morning then, when you get up, you have a choice of which location you will go. You can go and live in the past, or you can focus in the future. And the present is a bridge to both. And both recognize the problems that you face. They both recognize the same problems. So when Moses sends spies into their dreamland, their promised land, their vision land, the spies go and they recognize there's giants. Forty years later, when Joshua sends spies into that same land, they also see giants. They both see the same problems. But the difference is this, that the first group of spies remember what giants do to people, and they run away. The second group of spies remember what God does to giants, and they invade but you say, how, how could they even come up with that? How could you invade? How, how are you going to get across the, this, this swollen river? How will you get across that with your troops? How will you even, once you get across, deal with this massive city, this fortress called Jericho? How will you do that? And that's the problem with the vision. You're really good about the what. We, here's what we're going to do. But the how is in formation. And what Joshua had to do was say, I'm not sure, but I know that this is a God idea, and with a God idea comes the God how. It will happen. 
There will always be gaps in your vision, in your plan for your vision. There will be gaps, always. The things that, that you can't figure out quite yet what to do or the things that you don't even know you're going to have to do until they arrive. So we've been working since January on the strategy and structure for growing strong families, building strong families. So last week in a staff session, we, we met for two days and we did planning and we re reviewed all that's going on and, and we recognized that there were some gaps that we hadn't even realized that were there. And, and, and we think, well, what, was your vision wrong? No, 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 no. But there's gaps in the plan. So do you just stop the vision? Do you just say, okay, well, let's just give up. Let's just tell everybody we're not going to do it. No. You look at it and you adjust. How many have ever had to move a family from one location to another? How many have done that? So you're moving the family, and you've probably had this happen to you. You, you say, okay, we're going to do this. You commit to this. You go. You, you, you have packed everything, and the heavy stuff's ready to go, and you remember, man, we forgot. We suddenly remembered. We forgot all the stuff that's in that closet in the basement. We didn't even pack that stuff yet. So what do you do? Say, move it all back in. Say, no, 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 we'll adjust. We'll, we'll figure this out. If we have to get somebody else to bring a van, we'll get the stuff in the van, but we're going to get that taken care of. Because in a vision, in an idea, in the thing you're working for, you're always going to realize that there are gaps, things that you didn't realize or remember needed to be done, but it doesn't mean that the vision's wrong. Sometimes you even end up taking part of the junk that you wanted to get rid of with you. And you suddenly realize, I didn't want this. When Pam and I moved from the Portland, Oregon area to Erie, Pennsylvania, and got here and began to unpack, I opened up a box, and somehow we had packed four plastic bags of garbage. <laughs> we moved our garbage from Portland to Erie, Pennsylvania. Pam, do you want this? I don't think so. So what did we do? Go back to Portland? Do we say, oh, now, now the garbage is just going to be the same here and here as it was? No, what do you do? You adjust. You get rid of the garbage. Pam and I downsized about five years ago from the house we were in, and, and we said, well, look, it's going to be a smaller square footage, and we can't get as much furniture in. So we sold some dressers and, and, and some chest of drawers, and we, we actually, to, to save room, we actually had the Amish build a, a, a larger dresser that would fit in, in the room and would take the place of two other pieces of furniture. And it's just great, and it's massive, and it's heavy. And so we moved it, and we had some really, really, really strong guys carrying that dresser, and they moved it in. And even these guys were grunting as they moved it in, and, and, and they put it in the room, and then when they went out to get some other stuff, we began setting up the king-size bed. And then when the king-size bed was in place and the dresser was at the foot of the bed, we recognized that I hadn't measured anything. that you could open up the drawers this far. I said, Pam, this will work if all we need are socks in this dresser. If the footboard wasn't there, we could have reached with our feet and just opened up the dresser. Put the TV there. We don't need a remote. Just hit it with your toe. So I said, get back in here. What are we going to do? So we tried moving the bed. We tried moving the dresser in spots. We even tried putting the dresser in the, in the closet, which would have been great if we didn't want to hang up clothes. 
So finally we said, what are we going to do? Pam said, we got to move it into the adjoining bedroom. But that's our dresser. Well, it's not going to work. So they put the dresser in there. It's there right now. And we had to go buy a really cheap chest of drawers and stick it in the corner. We didn't say, oh, man, we didn't measure that right. It didn't fit. Let's move back to the other house. Because sometimes as you're going through your vision and you're moving things in place, sometimes things don't fit. It is the nature of a vision to have gaps, and it is the nature of your critic to find them. But the truth spoken by the critic is not destructive. The intent of the critic is destructive. So when that happens and they say, hey, your dresser, you didn't measure it. That's a stupid thing. You should say, it is a stupid thing. Thank you very much. And we're moving in. We keep going. See, the critic will reveal our insecurities. That's why it feels so bad when we're criticized. How many like to be criticized? I don't. And you feel that emotion because you know that you have weaknesses. You know what your blind spots are because people have told you. And your critic has pretty well told you what your blind spot is because they can spot your blind spot. And they will tell other people, don't follow her because she's got blind spots. And don't follow that vision because the person leading that has a blind spot. They have, they have, they have weaknesses. They, they, have, they have inabilities at times. Don't follow them. And they are great at distorting the truth. Not only do they tell the truth, but then they distort it so that others will not follow. So I remember several years ago when President George Herbert Walker Bush was president, the first President Bush, he had a guy on his, his staff who, who, told, who was at a conference we were at, and he said, you know, I just want to tell you that what the media will do to us sometimes. How many of you believe the media always tells the truth? Yeah. If you're part of the media, I'm sure you do, but those other people don't. So he said, this is what normally will happen. If President Bush is out fishing, and there's other people in the boat, and they're fishing, and he decides that he wants to go on shore and get something to eat because they didn't put anything in the boat for him, but he doesn't want these guys to have to pull up their lines, and he got out of the boat, and he walked on water all the way to the shore, ate his food, walked all the way back, and got in the boat and kept fishing. The next day, the headlines would read, President Bush doesn't know how to swim. <laughs> Critics distort. Critics are like funhouse mirrors. They criticize an exaggerated or distorted piece of us. The piece that can't be fixed becomes the thing that they distort, and they say that that is your identity. They are right that there is a piece that is not there. There is a piece that's broken. There's a piece that's missing. But we're greater than that piece. So you walk into our condo, and you can come in, and you can see that beautiful Amish dresser in the wrong room. We don't move it because there's no place to go, and secondly, the guys who moved it said they're never moving it again. <laughs> but you can say, look, 
The dresser's in the wrong place. What a horrible place to live in. No, no, no. You should see the kitchen. It's spacious. It's great. Our bedroom has one of the most comfortable beds I've ever slept in. Our windows look out over a ravine, and you can hear the creek going through at night. It's absolutely gorgeous. There's so many good pieces. We are greater than the piece that's missing. You can walk into a community of faith, and you can focus and distort the thing that's missing, the thing that's broken, because every place has a thing that's broken. But you look around and you start seeing that person who is a servant of God and those people who love him and those people who pray and those people who are serving and you say, oh, but we're much greater than that peace. If you listen to the critic long enough, you start to believe her or him. So what do you do? What do you do to to make sure that, that you don't give way to that when the critic attacks you and says, you're just not doing that right? Well, first of all, resecure the assignment. Nehemiah 4, verse 4 says, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the believers. He's, he, he, look at what Nehemiah does. Samballad has just blasted their character and their competence and their, and their commitment and even the feasibility of the plan. And he says, God, look, look you, you told us to go do this thing, and, and they're blasting away at us. And so we're back once again to say that you sent us here to do this. You sent me to start this business. You sent me to go do this thing in this city. You sent me to work in that job. You sent me to be there at that place. You sent me with this idea. You sent me. And you've got to go back, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that there's this name of God, which means the nail that is firmly in a solid place, and that is a name for Jesus, the Messiah. You are that nail, and you gave me this vision, and we nailed it in, so I'm coming back to the place that I nailed it, and no matter what the critic says, I'm saying, you told me this, and I still believe you. For you have given me an anointing, and that anointing is this, that he has equipped you, and he's authorized you to function in that dream, and you have that anointing to carry on. So that is the case then let me encourage you to do this. It's tempting to do this, but don't do it. Don't battle the critic. Criticism attacks our feelings, and we want to do something with those feelings, and what we want to do is pour them back at the critic and defend ourselves. Don't do it. Because you will waste your energy and your thoughts trying to answer questions for people who are not actually interested in the answer. They don't want to understand. They just want you to stop. So there's this great story in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. David is a shepherd. He's the youngest one of the family at that time. And and in a family, the the youngest person is always assigned to take care of the sheep while the other ones can move on to other occupations. But the youngest gets stuck with the sheep thing because that's the least thing anybody wants to do. Because shepherds are seen to be impure at times and and can't go to temple because of the impurity. And and so, David is the shepherd. His dad calls him in and says, hey, your brothers are are part of the army and the army is battling the Philistines. And so, I want you to take them some food because we've got to take care of them. So, So, go up there. He gets up there and he sees the battle and here's what's happening. There's this valley 
in between two mountains, and the, and the forces come down, they meet each other, a giant comes out and says, whoever can beat me, if you can beat me, then we'll just, all of us will surrender. So who's going to take me on? And the Jews then run right back up the hill and wait, because no one wants to do it. David says, what's the deal? They say, well, that giant's down there, and he's, he's threatening, and he says, well, this is the Lord's army. What, what's, what's the deal? And he, said, and he said, also, the king said, you get all these things if you can defeat the, the, the giant. He says, oh, that's, that's really cool. How, how do I go about killing? And this is the shepherd. He's not even a soldier. His older brother, Eliab, is, the scripture says, burns with anger at David's dream of defeating the giant. In fact, he says to them, him, what is what, what? It says your occupation, you're a shepherd, we're soldiers. Who do you think you are? He says, you have an ego. You are wicked in your heart. You've come just to watch. We're the ones who are trained. And what's amazing is that David does not combat the critic, but he runs directly to his anointing. He gets to his anointing, he doesn't wear the king's armor and the king says, at least wear this, because that's not his anointing. His anointing is he's equipped to do it the way God told him to do it. And when he meets the giant, he says, you come to me with your weaponry, but I've come with you in the name of the Lord. You're a dead man. And in his anointing, he defeats him. But he didn't stop to use his energy against the critic. Because, now hear me clearly, when you have a critic and you will, Your anointing may not include fighting that critic. And unless God anointed you to go take care of that critic, don't go there because God has neither given you the authority or the equipping to fight that critic. And even if you lose, you will do it without God's blessing. And while you're fighting the critic, God is saying, what I sent you to do is take on the giant, so go by the critic and just go take care of the giant. Do you want to be remembered for defeating your critics or defeating giants? And critics are never an indicator of your success or failure. Only God can do that judging, so why are you messing with amateurs? You say, but I'm so tempted to, 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 to go after the person who's speaking mistruths and, and, and distorting things. Well, sure you are. But I'll tell you again when I said a few weeks ago, your friends won't believe a lie and your enemies won't believe the truth. So don't go there. God said, I will take care of your reputation, make it as bright as a noonday sun. Allow, that, allow me to do that. But you need to go to what you're anointed to do. So, so how, how do I keep from going that direction? Do what Nehemiah did, regroup through prayer. And notice how fast Nehemiah goes to prayer because he is still so hot, but immediately he goes and says, okay, God, here's the deal. And it's not his personal thing. He say, this guy's attacking me. He said, he's attacking your plan. He's attacking your vision. He's attacking your mission. And therefore, God, you've got to do something. And he's still so angry. He says, and by the way, if you need help on knowing what to do, I can tell you what to do to the guy. Ever pray that prayer? God, so, so I'm going to let you do this, but, but if you need some help, if you would like to just get him fired, go for it. I'm with that. Nuke him till he glows. Do something. When you have a critic that's bearing down on you and you are tempted, you go to God and say, God, you sent me to do this thing. And this person is distorting and affecting your mission and vision. You need to do something. And by the way, in my own emotion, I'll tell you what I think you should do, but I'm going to leave it with you. 
And then you go back and you continue facing the giant, continuing your mission, doing what you're supposed to do because it then allows you to do as Jesus said, which is this, when you meet your critic and your enemy, deal with them in grace. God will take care of them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You deal with them in grace because if you don't, you will deal with them in disgrace and you will compound the issue even further because you don't know what God will do with that critic because God can change that critic in some ways that he's changed you when you were a critic. And the person that you thought would always be your enemy, God can change them and eventually they will become part of solving the vision that you have. And if you would have destroyed them, you would have missed a piece of what God had for you for the future. So instead of empowering the critic, empower the dream. Stay focused on the build. So Nehemiah said, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their what? Their heart. So here is the pivotal point. Being halfway there is one of the most dangerous places you can be in your vision and in your dream. It is at that moment that you have totally committed. You have moved from where you were. You have, you have let go of that peace, but you are not to this one yet. It's at that moment that while you are working with all your heart and you are working out your energy and you are giving it everything you've got, that at the same time you're doing that, you may not have heard, of, heard from your critic for a while, but your critic is scheming on how to terrorize you and how to demoralize you. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There you are, you're halfway, and, and you're tired, and there's so much rubble, and there's just so much stuff left to do that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So now the critic is threatening you. And you are, you are no longer energized. You have used so much of your energy. And you are wondering now, do I have enough energy? Do I have enough resources? Do I have enough security to make it to the end? So what do you do? When a critic threatens, strategically resist. You just don't lay down and say it's over. You resist in a way that God says is the way it should be done. So Nehemiah says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried material did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. And wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will what? Fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. 
Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Posting a guard is not a lack of faith. Actually, it was an act of faith because in reality, if all of those armies would have attacked, they didn't have enough warriors to actually defeat them in their own strength. So they didn't depend on enough warriors. What they depended on was anointing. Because they were anointed to have the authority and the ability to do what is ever necessary to complete the task of building the wall. Because you see with an anointing, a shepherd's staff can split a sea. With an anointing, a river rock can take down a giant. With an anointing, a shadow can heal a street full of sick people. With an anointing, a cross can save humanity. With an anointing, a ragtag group of villagers barely armed can take on an army and defeat them. So let me say to you now, if you are halfway and you feel the critics saying it's not going to work, they're telling you it's not going to happen, here's what you do, what you have. You have some more dollars left in the bank, pray God's anointing on those dollars. You've got some equipment left, pray God's anointing on that equipment. You've got, you got some inventory left, pray God's anointing on that inventory. You've got, you got personnel left, pray God's anointing on that personnel. You have a legal team you need to use, pray God's anointing on that legal team. And you have people praying, pray God's anointing on those prayers. And what Nehemiah did is, he prayed anointing on the families. Because when the critic attacks, stay with your family. Nehemiah hadn't planned on all of this, this harassment. He hadn't planned on this violence. And so he said, what am I going to do? Well, I have our families, so I'm going to pray anointing on the families, and the families are going to stick together, and they're going to do battle. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by what? By families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. So I want you to fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Ben Franklin said it. He said, if we don't hang together, then most assuredly we will hang separately. And so you belong to a community of faith who believes in you and you believe in what it's doing. And there's a group of people around you and that, that, that you need to surround yourself with that whatever you're walking through, they're with you so that as others will say, hey, look, at those pieces are, are, are not coming together. They're not fitting. Your, your business has gaps. There's, there's issues there. Those people will surround you and they will say, we're a family and we will stand in those gaps with you. You come to this community of faith and you're going to find stuff that's just wrong. I'm telling you, there's things that are wrong. It's just that way. But together, together we say, but we will stand together. So part of our plan for building strong families involves strategic ministries coming out of our summit building, which is just west of this building. Yet I got to tell you, I got to just be honest with you, we have had leadership failures 
in that summit building. We have had physical and spiritual attacks in that summit building. You say, well, was that a bad vision? No. But we need to adjust our plans, so we've been creating a new leadership structure to lend protection and support. But we also need warriors. And together, we need to remember who our God is and stay together as family. We need, to, we need to fight for our brothers and our sons and our daughters and our wives and our homes. We must stand together not only when the plan is working well, but when the plan has gaps, we stand together. Because honestly, if we try to battle this alone, we will run from shadows and innuendos and critics and threats. But when we stand together, the scripture says this, that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. So I'm gonna invite Jeff Williams to come up and, and join me on this platform because Jeff strongly believes in building strong families, but he also believes in building a family of warriors. And so as part of our plan, we know that we have got to saturate what we do with releasing God's presence and God's power in all that we are doing. So it's not our plans, it's God's plan, and it's not our power, it's God's power. So Jeff, we've got this, this thing coming up. First of all, let's talk a little bit about the building strong families, the need for that. And secondly, the, what you see as would be the threat against that and how we're going to defeat that. And you've got some special plans coming up in a couple of weeks. Yes, in uh, 10 days from today, August 17th through the 20th, so it's a Wednesday through Saturday evening at 5.30 to 6.30, we're going to gather here in the sanctuary for a time of prayer. And um, we're going to have, there's four different individuals, groups will be leading each one of those nights. So Wednesday night, Brad and Emily Moore will be leading the prayer time. Thursday night is Ryan and Sarah Seiler, and then Friday night is Ron and Deborah Troyer, and then Tracy and I will be leading Saturday night. One of the reasons we're doing that is to give it a little bit of variety, to give it some spice, to give it some different. Each night will have its individuality as others are leading it. So we invite you to come out those nights. And I know some of you, when there's prayer on here Wednesday nights, man, you're here every Wednesday night. Some of you maybe have come once in a while, and some of you say, you know what, I've never really come out to a time of prayer and intercession on behalf of God's church and the kingdom of God and what God's wanting to do through Erie First. So we're really wanting everybody to come out. Some of you can be here every night. Some of you maybe say, man, I'm going to pick this night and I'm going to be there for that specific thing regarding building strong families. Because this is what we know. We know that the enemy, the devil, does not want us to have strong families. God has given Pastor Jack this vision and the church leadership and team is coming around this vision, but it's not going to just happen. It's going to take spiritual warfare. And what we know is that the principalities and what we battle, yeah, sometimes it reveals itself in flesh, but it's a spiritual battle that takes place. And that's where we will win and we will disarm the enemy as we come together and agree in prayer. So, so Jeff, um, let's talk a little bit about on, on Saturday. We've got a, a, we, we know that we've been dealing with some and if, if, you're, if, you're not, if you're new to this whole concept of, of spiritual warfare, let me just tell you that, that we believe and the scriptures reveal that there is someone who's against whatever Jesus has created, whatever God has created. He wants to destroy life. The first institution created by God in the garden was the family. That family was created so that it would 
would grow the garden and it would increase, and, and those people were created in the image of God. Satan, who had served God in heaven, had the strong passion to be just like God, and in doing so, he tried to usurp the throne. He was thrown out, and then immediately after that, it would seem that God created you and I, so that we would be in his image, the very thing that Satan wanted. So therefore, Satan, in his jealousy, wants to destroy anything that represents God's image. And the first thing there is the family, so he will destroy it because it is that thing, the family in its wholeness and health, that will replicate the image of God throughout the earth. So he's going to try to destroy that. And we believe that, that there are certain places that he's been invited in, certain locations where he has been and it may even be on our property, and we haven't thoroughly cleansed it out. So what we're going to do on Saturday night as part of that prayer time, talk, talk a little bit about what we hope to do that evening. So on Saturday evening, and part of this came out of our intercessor prayer. So praise God for those who intercede on behalf of this church family. every I think it's every Saturday morning they're here gathered and praying. And one of the things that God revealed to them is that possibly there's a stronghold in up at the summit area, across the fields, maybe even into the woods there. And so Saturday evening at the close, maybe around 620, we'll leave this sanctuary and we'll go out into the church parking lot and we're going to, in one line, from Oliver Road down to the wooded area, and if you're not afraid of poison ivy, which I am terribly because it really likes me, some may even be able to go into the woods, and we're going to walk, and we're going to just pray all the way to the west end of the property. It's going to take a lot of people to do that. It would be awesome if we could kind of lock arms or be side by side as we're doing that. So we need about 50 or 100 people out here Saturday evening around 620. We'll go out in the church parking lot, and we're going to go that way. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to deal with anything and everything that's out there. And I believe that as we walk in the power and the anointing of God, that he can remove, that he can push back the darkness that is wanting to permeate and to have an impact as it does. And we've seen that in our church family. We've seen families uh, that, that are broken, husbands and wives that are, that are separated, that are getting a divorce. Uh, we know that this is not God's will. We know that God wants to come against that. We see in our families, we have children who aren't, aren't following God and aren't serving the Lord. We would maybe refer to them as prodigals. This time of building strong families and what we're praying about is specifically dealing with these things. But then in all of that, how is God and what is he wanting to do to make a difference? And I believe one of the greatest first steps we can do as this thing kicks off and pastor believes is that in August, in the middle of August, August 17th through the 20th, we're going to set time aside. And you say, well, why 5.30? Well, that's about what time I eat dinner. Anybody else eat dinner around 5.30, 6.30? This is a time of prayer and fasting. So what a great time to come together where we would normally maybe be sitting around the table as a family, but to come here and to say, we're going to intercede tonight. We're going to give our time toward this. Why? Because we believe in building strong families we know it's not going to just happen. We see it. And I know that if I were to ask you, all of you believe in the power of prayer. You believe that where two or three come together in prayer, something happens. And if we can do that corporately on behalf of this church family, I believe that great things are going to happen. And I believe we saw a birthing of this or a great aspect of this when we joined here in, in maybe in February at the Sacred Assembly time. So this is going to complement and add to that. That's great. Anything else? I look forward to interceding with you on those nights. Thank you for being here. One last thing, and I'll pick on Luke and Chloe. 
because one of the things that we've done is we've asked leaders to say, okay, why not pick a night? Like, let's just say Luke and Chloe said, we're coming on Thursday night, and those whom they lead, and God has blessed them and anointed them for this season of leading in worship. So Luke and Chloe maybe are going to pick Thursday night, and are going to say, okay, we would like for all of those who are involved with worship to be here on Thursday night. Maybe it's Barb Fisher that's over nursery. She's going to say, you know what, I'm going to be here on Friday night. I'm inviting all of my nursery team to be here on Friday night. Yeah, it'd be great if you could all be here every night, but I understand their schedules and all that. So for leaders in the church, we're asking you to look at your schedule, pick a night, and ask your team to join you. And, and we'll, then we will also specifically pray on those nights that you are here to pray over that. Okay? Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. So Luke and Chloe, you're committed now because he just he, he did the thing. So you, you got to be there. So, folks, it's time to build. Coming up in, in September will be the unfolding of all of this in, in one piece. And I've given, been giving you pieces here and there, but on September 11th in the morning will be our launch Sunday morning, and then in the evening will be our, our launch event uh, where we'll also be gathering for a chili cook-off and, and, and some great reports and some voting on, on people who will be coming in as as uh, council members, and all of that's happening on September 11th, and I want you to be there because what we're going to do at that time is that we're going to share with you the entire team how God has put that together. We're going to share with you a resource on that Sunday that we're going to give as a gift to everybody who's part of this church to help build families and even help you build you individually, a great resource that's our gift to you. We're going to, we're going to share all the pieces of this that, that we have together already and, and we may not have all the pieces together, I said earlier, but we're going to share with you all those pieces, and it's going to excite you. In fact, next week, I'll share you, with you an advance a piece that deals with our Rise Youth Ministries, how God has put together that, and how the person that God is going to put in charge of leading that Rise Ministry will announce next week who that person is. So I want you to be here to hear that. So it's time to build. It's time for us to build with one hand and do warfare with the other, because here's what happens when we do. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work, and we kept on going. And at that moment, then, you get to say to the evil critic, go back to your bench, sit there, and all these families are going to see what kind of fool you really are. It's time to build. Would you stand? I'm going to ask elders and and spouses and prayer team and spouses to come and just stand here at the front. Would you come right now? That's great. Thank you. So as we've walked through this this morning, there are probably many of you who are battling through a dream, a vision. You started a business, and, 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 and you know God told you to do that, and it's just not panning out the way you thought it would be, or, or you moved to a certain location, you came to Erie thinking something was going to happen, it's not happening. Just whatever, whatever that dream, that vision is for you, and you feel almost halfway in between, and you, and you hear critics, maybe you're your own critic. But we want to pray for you today, and in just a moment, we're going to dismiss you that want to go, and, and we're going to have some music playing, and we're going to invite you that if you would like someone to pray with you and just agree with you that you're going to keep going, and they're going to pray an anointing over you, that whatever it is you have that you can use to keep on going, that God would anoint that, and you would have the authority and the ability to finish that which you've started, so that you will not be discouraged and you will not give up, but you'll be emboldened and say, this is what God told me to do. I'm nailing this thing back where it needs to go, and I'm going to keep going, and I have people surrounding me. I have family here because we're your family. 
to help me get through this. So we want that to happen for you. So let me pray over you right now, and then I'm going to invite you to come as the music's playing. And, and those who want to have prayer, we are set to pray with you this morning. And if you have a need, and it's not specifically that, but you need prayer for sickness or anything else, we are here to pray with you. Or if you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus, any of these folks will talk to you about that. So let me pray a blessing on you. So now, may you once again, with great clarity, see the mission and the vision to which God has called you. May you be encouraged by his words spoken through his scripture today. And may you not give up. But may you find the anointing that you need to walk in authority and have the ability to accomplish. And those things that you still have in your hand, may they be used to accomplish what God has sent you to do. For he has called you to be successful and fruitful. May you go with great courage and joy today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.